You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Argentina hit their stride as they reach the knockout stages. Poland come with them after an abysmal performance. There's heartbreak for Mexico after their victory over Saudi Arabia. We'll talk about Tunisia's important win over France and Denmark's poor campaign as they exit bottom of the group. We'll get Matt Dickinson's thoughts on England and look ahead to Thursday's matches. This is The Game. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Tom Allnett and Gregor Robertson this evening. Uh, I've just got back from the Argentina match. We'll discuss that group a little bit later on, but let's start with, I guess, Wabi Kasri and Tunisia. He is going down in football folklore after today. The winning goal as the Tunisians beat France. It wasn't enough for them to reach the knockout stages for the first time, but it did provide a special moment, an emotional moment at this World Cup. Gregor, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a remarkable moment and very unfortunate that Australia scored two minutes later, I think, and the, the, the dream died quite quickly. But um, as James Gearbrandt pointed out in his uh, match report, the team contained six French-born players. It was clearly a, a massive, massive moment for all the Tunisian fans in the stadium and the players, and for Casri, once of Sunderland, of course. So yeah, it was a, it was a, a, a huge moment, but as I say, unfortunate that it was, it was short-lived and ultimately it didn't count for the thing that really mattered for them in the end. And that's qualification. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I did want to start with them because, you know, there are so many people that feel, you know, it shouldn't matter. You know, things that are in the past are in the past, but they matter. They matter to people. And it has been a politically charged World Cup. And I think Tunisia would have seen this fixture from the start and thought it doesn't really matter what happens in the World Cup. Beating France, playing against France is our cup final. And they got the result they wanted. They got a goal in this competition. It was a reward for all of their efforts. And I know they're not here to make up the numbers. But I think if you said to them before, you are going to go out, but you get to beat France. I think a lot of Tunisian fans would have taken it, at least speaking to the ones here. You know, it meant so, so much to them, Tom. And I just think, you know, I wanted to start with probably for me, for me personally, so I'm I'm hogging this podcast, but um, I think the the special moment of the day, if you like. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what an amazing result for them. I mean, obviously disappointing in the group not to get through, particularly, I think, you know, if you'd said at the start, they would finish on, what is it, four points in the end, you know, and they beat France and they still wouldn't qualify for the last 16. I think, you know, they would be pretty disappointed with that, but... um, as Craig says, it's a shame it didn't last longer. I mean, you know, I think they scored and literally within three or four minutes, it felt, I was watching the Australia-Denmark game and it felt like Australia, you know, they, the whole stadium there kind of found out that Tunisia had scored and there was a sort of surge of uh, support from the stands and within a, a few minutes, Australia kind of capitalised that and, on that and, and took the lead. So it was, uh, it was short-lived, but um, as you say, uh, an incredible result and something that they can could at least hold on to in, in the disappointment going out. Before we move on to that Australian performance, there was just one thing that I wanted to clarify because there were some sketchy things, should we say that, some debatable things at the World Cup today. Um, Antoine Griezmann's goal, 
or non-goal, should I say, was it was it offside? Could you get that, Gregor? So look, I don't, I really don't want to like make some mistake that I don't realise, I don't understand the law properly. But like, it, where, when the phases of play start and end as well, like when the ball came in and it was headed, I don't know, I, and I'm confused by it all. There's quite a lot of laws in the in the game of football now that I'm I'm a little bit confused about, and that's that should probably embarrass me uh, as someone who's a played the game and b is now. It's my job to write about it and, and speak about it, but it has become quite confusing. And that, for me, did did seem quite confusing at the time. And, you know, there have been other instances that I'm sure will come to later in the podcast. Head-scratching moments. Oh, my yeah. goodness, yeah. yes. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm going to get to that. But on, on, uh, on Griezmann, I, you know, again, it doesn't mean a lot. France go through, but I do think, you know, and we never expected perfect refereeing, but... It may have been the South Korean game with Senegal, but one of the goals that was scored hit an arm as the ball got delivered into the box. Not saying the player knew anything about it, but I thought the reason that goal was allowed to stand is because in between the ball putting, um, being hit on the arm and being put in the back of the net by a, a teammate, in between that, a South Korean player flicked out to try and clear the ball, got a toe end to it, couldn't really clear it properly, and then it was put in the back of the net. And I thought that was the new phase of play. And and because the handball didn't lead directly to a goal, that was meant to be why it stood. It may be, the other hand, it was just non-deliberate. But, it, you know, for me, I thought that was why it didn't stand. But today, I couldn't understand why Antoine Griezmann was offside. But there you go. It, it gave me the special moment that I eulogised about at the start. So I'm not complaining too much. I will complain about some other refereeing decisions a little bit later on. Um, let's round off this group, though. I think, look, a great result for Tunisia. I think they're... Uh, their manager called it a bitter victory, and, and it was one of those. It meant a lot historically in the context between the two countries. Um, and they got the three points that they wanted, and it will live long in the memory, but I think they would have loved to go through as well. They almost got the job done beating France. Australia, though, finished second in Group D. They beat Denmark by a goal to nil. The Socceroos reaching the knockout stages for the first time in 16 years. Matthew Leckie scored the goal. And it, yeah, I mean, I heard that there were thousands of fans, 2.30 in the morning, watching the end of that game in Melbourne. It means a lot for Australian football, of course. They reached the knockout stages for the first time in 16 years, as I mentioned. Um, and, and, and look, back-to-back wins. It wasn't scraping through on goal difference. They got six points. They got the same as France. That is amazing for the Australian fans, isn't it? Isn't it, Tom? How did they get the job done? Well, they got the job done, kind of how they've been how they've been doing it all tournament, which is sort of grinding their way through, out muscling, out fighting the opposition. I, mean, I have to say, I sort of find Australia a real kind of guilty pleasure in this in this World Club. Every time I kind of watch them play, I, I really sort of find them some something very satisfying about kind of watching a team sort of muddle through just on the real sort of fundamentals of football. I feel like you know. It, always so bound up at the moment in kind of Mbappe and Messi and Ronaldo and and obviously all the kind of the, the big players and the big storylines to, to see a side like Australia um, sort of go back to the kind of old-fashioned cliches, I guess, of sort of team spirit and grit and determination, a uh, big man up front, a couple of sort of big brutes in, in central defence, you know, hard tackling, um, big headers, you know, this kind of thing. I, I, I just... I really enjoy enjoy watching it, and, and, and I think you know today they deserve their victory again. I mean they they got the goal that they needed, um, and they and, and they found a way. I mean I, I love this thing with with Graham Arnold, you know, at the end of matches in in a big huddle, 
with uh, Martin Boyle, who was injured and, and, and couldn't play the tournament, so on crutches next to him every time. And and every time they win, he sort of tells them no celebrations, no emotions. You know, we, we go to the next game and win the next one kind of thing. I just, I think this this mentality of the Australian team has been a real pleasure to watch in the group stage. And, you know, I think we can all probably say that Argentina in the round of, in the in the last 16 might be a step too far for them. But equally, I think it's uh, it's been a great ride for them so far. And I, I guess Denmark, you know, on the opposite side of the coin, I've been incredibly disappointed. I mean, they go out with what a point from from the group. Um, which came from a nil-nil draw against Tunisia. And to be honest, they offered uh, very little today at all. I have to say, listeners, it, it's not deliberate that Alison Rudd missed the podcast <laughs> straight after England got through to the knockout stages, having been predicted to exit early by Alison. And now her favourite team, her favourite player, Christian Eriksen, gone early. I mean, Gregor, was it a case, you know, I, I want to call it the Alison Rudd curse. Maybe it wasn't the Alison Rudd curse, although... I think we should bring that into the podcast for the future. Was it a case I of them just... I wrote a text message here, I'll be honest, saying commiserations, Alison, but I, I didn't hit the send button. I wasn't sure how it would go down in the end, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I have to say is I wholeheartedly agree with everything Tom said, although there should be no guilt taken in, in uh, gaining pleasure from watching this Australia team. Because they are... They're great. It's kind of all these visceral qualities that are like just bodies on the line. Harry Souter, what an absolute man mountain he is. Again, he played, I think, one 90-minute game before, before the World Cup after like you know, almost a year out with an ACL injury. He spent time on loan at Fleetwood Town. Aaron Moy, he's kind of, he's still, you know, he's never been the most mobile player, but he takes up really smart positions, both in and out of possession. He's, you know, great at kind of so many times against France, actually, even though they lost that game, he was, he was, he was the man on front of the back four. He was cutting out the cutbacks, if you know what I mean. He's He takes up some really clever positions. And I think he's been brilliant as well and covered a lot of ground. And Leckie took his goal brilliantly, the way he, he cut inside, chopped back again, made uh, Joachim Mela kind of briefly turn his back, like momentarily disorientates a defender and then shot through his legs. And what a moment, what a moment. Um, so they've, they've had the opportunity to play France and Mbappe and now they get the chance to to meet Argentina and Messi. No, I, I agree with you. I think they've been fantastic. Um, just bringing that energy and that spirit that was needed. I think we've seen a lot of that in this tournament. Two clean sheets, two 1-0 wins. I mean, you know, if they can keep it tight at the back and Suter has been fantastic, then who knows? Who knows what could be up next? We'll look ahead, I think, a little bit to uh, their game in the knockout stages. We need to talk about Denmark. I mentioned Alison Rudd, who, yeah couldn't be here for personal reasons let's call it that did their disdain for the world cup cost them because they didn't want to be here they didn't agree with it they wanted to wear protest t-shirts we know they had the toned down kits everyone back home in denmark was against it um they brought the fewest number of danish fans to any i think any tournament they've ever been to um were they just not in love with the world cup are they almost happy that they're going home what do you think tom yeah it's an interesting an interesting idea i mean i i I can't help but think that the players, you know, when they when they go out on the pitch and they're they're playing these matches, that you know they're switching on to the World Cup. These are these are players who look forward to these tournaments for you know their whole careers. These are the highlights of their career. I understand the kind of political backdrop and and the reservations that that many of them might understandably have. And obviously Denmark have been among the more vocal teams in that regard. But still, I, I just I don't think that's a, a valid explanation for the for the, the way they've played here. I just it feels like they didn't really have any punch in, in the games. They didn't really create enough chances. And with the, the chance they did create, it never really, like they were going to score them. And Ericsson, I think, was sort of fairly kind of quiet in the games, really. 
it just they didn't really put any kind of stamp on any of the matches as they played and it just kind of felt they were drifting through this tournament in the end they drifted out I mean the the manager kind of summed it up you know he sort of said the football it sucked and that kind of that sort of that was it I think with Denmark you know they kind of came here they didn't really make much of an impression and they're, and they're going home early. Gregor what was your view on Denmark? I agree they just like they scored one goal they they had three shots on target in a game that they had to had to win really in an attacking sense they, they flickered for a, a part of the second half against France, you know, after they scored, uh, Christensen equalised. They had a couple of chances to take, you know, to take the lead. That was their best phase in in the tournament. But otherwise, it's been absolutely kind of one to forget. They've just not had the same energy, the same threat, the same. It might be too much to say the same kind of togetherness and unity because it was a unique circumstance in the Euros. But they don't look quite as kind of. I don't know, motivated. And that I, I don't think that's true either. I just think that they haven't looked, they've just looked a shadow of their of themselves at the, at the Euros. And as I say, that was a unique circumstance. So it's going to be a huge disappointment for them, given the, the sort of expectation that they came into the tournament with. And, and they stated it. It was a stated aim that they kind of, they felt they could possibly go all the way and win it with a fair wind. And They've, they've fallen well short. Yeah, I think Casper Hulman said that they were um, overly emotional and that played a part. But there you go. Denmark are going home. Yeah, let's talk about the game that I went to this evening. Argentina. Well, it was, do you know what? Both games I think we need to talk about because they're so intertwined. Messi was fantastic, really conducted things for Argentina. They finally got their rhythm, I think. And yeah, I mean, it was just a complete difference to what we've seen, even from the second game, obviously from the first game. Argentina were beaten by Saudi Arabia. Then they beat Mexico. Tonight they beat Poland, and it was a one-horse race this game. I mean, there was only one team in it. Poland were absolutely atrocious but Poland actually went through to the knockout stages on goal difference uh, they finished level on points with Mexico and yeah they were, for a minute there they were going through on on yellow cards um, but Saudi Arabia scored deep in stoppage time they were beaten in the end Saudi Arabia 2-1 by Mexico it wasn't enough to me- for Mexico to reach the knockout stages for the ninth World Cup in a row they are out in the group stage and the goal difference was decisive. And it actually came down to a penalty save from Wojciech Szczesny from Lionel Messi. I mean, but we have to say, justice was served. I, I might start there. Gregor, talk me through this, please. What on earth is going on? Oh, it's astonishing, isn't it? it? It was just astonishing. I mean, I don't know what to say to you. I honestly don't know what to say anymore. Like... You couldn't believe that in the first instance that he was sent to the monitor. And then, as we've said so many times, you know that the kind of pressure's on, the eyes of the world are on the referee. But even then, I don't have, you know, I'm still kind of angered by the fact that he felt that he had to give a penalty kick for what was really, it was just nothing. It was like, also, it's no one seems to take any sort of notice of where the ball is now. Messi headed, he couldn't reach the header. The ball was going over and wide. Like it's almost irrelevant if what Chesney did after that, unless he kind of absolutely clattered him, and you know it was a real act of violence, basically, uh, which it very much was not. So it was in, it was innocuous in the first place, but it's kind of doubly uh, hard to swallow, given that it it would have had no bearing on what happened to the ball and what Messi had done to, with his header. So 
it was just ridiculous from start to finish. And uh, unfortunately, there's been a few of these decisions so far in this World Cup. I thought it was one of the worst VAR decisions that I've ever ever seen. There would be a there would be a penalty every time the ball went into the box. It wasn't this is the worst thing. It wasn't even late contact. Super slow mo. Yeah, it looks late. Real time. He's fully entitled to go for the ball. He doesn't punch Messi. He it goes was a bad. Open. It was a bad decision. It was. We have to say it was a bad decision from 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 him to go for it in the first place. He came. He'd made a good save, I think. And then, yeah, from Alvarez. Yeah. Yes, and then a moment later, he's kind of you know he's got a rush of energy, and he's gone for a ball he shouldn't have gone for. But if he hadn't gone for it, Messi still would have headed the ball over and wide. He couldn't reach the header. So, like I, I understand what you're saying, and it was very close. He came close to it. He missed by a fraction, but it had no bearing on what happened in the in the phase of play, and that's what really makes it so mind-boggling to me. I can't accuse anyone of anything, obviously, but it did have a lot of football fans pondering how much FIFA want Messi to get to the knockout stages, don't you think, Tom? I guess so, but even uh, even Messi, with, in the end, with, with the penalty, I mean, the actual record with, the, with penalties is actually not that good, but no, I mean, I agree. I mean, it was an incredible decision. I mean, you look at these decisions, you kind of think, in isolation, maybe you could get one of those kind of things wrong, but the, the, the idea that it was recommended for a review in the first place is a complete nonsense. And then you just kind of assume, okay, the referee is going to go and look at it and then make the conclusion that we're all making here, watching it, that it clearly isn't a penalty. And yet somehow he also comes to the decision that it, that it is a penalty. I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete farce really that, that, that decision, but in the end justice was done, I guess. And, uh, that was the only blessing really from it. Well, Chesney was basically man of the match, to be honest, because Poland would have been out if it wasn't for him. And it wasn't just the penalty save. Yeah, we'll talk about Argentina's rhythm in a second, because I think they really got going. Poland, I went to this game, obviously, um, messaging my partner who's Polish throughout. You know, clearly there was tension both at home and in the stadium where I was with those mainly Argentina fans, 95% full making as much noise as possible. The phone was going constantly. My partner doesn't know the rules, but she was angry too. And she wanted Poland to go through, obviously. And so did I, ultimately. But by the end of the game, I was kind of disappointed that they went through. I mean, that is how bad they were. Their coach made two substitutions at halftime. His players hadn't put any pressure on the ball in the first half. And I thought, brilliant. Going to change the shape. Maybe he'll go five at the back, win backs. Don't know, flood the midfield, three in the middle. He's going to do something. They lined up exactly the same way at the start of the second half and Argentina scored within about 30, 35 seconds. Like it was just utterly ridiculous. And they were so bad throughout the game. I mean, at one point we were talking about them trying to avoid being booked to go through. And you actually felt that that message had gone onto the pitch. They were atrocious. They were absolutely atrocious. And you, you kind of felt bad for Mexico, who beat Saudi Arabia and actually went for it in that game, that they didn't go through because they had two goals disallowed for offside and they were they put all the pressure on. And I mean, it was, oh, they stunk the place out, Poland. I'm still reeling for that. I mean, they were just incredibly poor, Gregor. I felt bad for Lewandowski as well. I mean, there was, for most of that game, he didn't have a teammate within 40 yards of him. He was so isolated, like, just chasing shadows one point he was chasing chasing Messi in the second half and tried to kind of square him up and then he fouled him and then he fouled him again and Messi stopped. It's like, hang on a minute. Like, that's what this guy's reduced to play for, for this Poland side. They had, I think they had 27% of the ball, didn't have a shot on target. 
Like you're right, they were they were completely abject, and I I know it was going through my mind. You know, obviously as it the drama kind of unfurled because of what was going on uh, across the city. I was kind of wondering how I wonder how quickly they knew about the kind of the the prospect that they have them going through because of fewer yellow cards. Like how quickly did that message get onto the pitch? Did that really influence them in any way? I I really w- would love to know about that. I think BBC coverage showed showed that someone from the the coaching staff you know belatedly ran round and told Chesney like we need to you know don't let in another goal like was telling him something but I, I also wonder about that about the, about the car thing as well because uh it was just it was just nuts and they had no ambition whatsoever because they were they were teetering on the on the brink I mean as we come to Mexico were thrown the kitchen sink at Saudi Arabia and had two go you know two goals chopped off or offside they were you know, on the edge, and they did nothing about it. They just held, you know, held on for dear life. Um, look, on the other hand, we do have to give Argentina credit because this is by far the best they've been. Um, I thought they were really compact. They moved the ball quickly, and Messi was like the Messi of old, without a couple of yards of his old pace. But that's the best Messi we're going to get, I think. And it was a joy to watch. Just getting the you know dropping deep, turning, spinning players, committing people, running at them, little one twos. That one where he, he picked the ball up around the halfway line, turned and ran. You know, we've seen it so many times, and then we've seen the ball kind of seen the net ripple, and he he scuffed it with his right foot and then slashed it with his left. That was really disappointing, but everything up to that moment was like the Messi of old. So I very much hope we're going to see more of that in the in the rest of the tournament and then the Argentina. Can kind of improve from here as well. Alexis McAllister got the first, a Premier League goalscorer from Brighton, of course. Julian Alvarez of Manchester City got the second. Tom, 37 passes led up to that Alvarez goal. And, I mean, I was watching the build-up play and a couple of times, we're talking players 15, 20 yards off the ball. I mean, it was so incredibly passive. Um, I, mean, I want to give Argentina credit, but they will do that if you allow them to. I actually felt we were watching them play just the perfect warm-up match. They suddenly were like, okay, we know what we're doing now. We've hit a groove with our possession. We can pass teams to death. We'll create an opportunity. We'll score a brilliant goal. And we can carry that into the knockout stages. I mean, brilliant finish from Alvarez. Again, I'm just still disappointed about Poland's application. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting actually that after the match that the Poland manager said that he had told the players before the game that they should avoid unnecessary yellow cards. And I think he, he specified that he he was basically kind of saying things like descent to the referee and, and shirt pulling. But you do kind of wonder if if that was kind of in their minds because it, you just sort of the way, the way they were playing was, as you say, Hugh, so passive and so uh, standoffish. It really felt like maybe they were all trying to avoid, you know, even a tackle, let alone a yellow card. Um, I mean, apart from anything else, it was, it was actually quite sort of a cowardly approach because... It was it was incredibly high risk. I mean, Mexico could easily have scored. They were really pushing for a for another goal. Argentina could easily have scored another one. I mean, I just think they've really got away with it. Poland it didn't seem like their strategy was was right at all. And and as as you said, the performance was was really poor. And I think we can all I don't know. It would be an incredible upset, an incredible turnaround if if Poland did anything against France in the last sixteen. So I think. England and Senegal can pretty much uh, assume that it is going to be France in the quarterfinals. Famous last words, but I think that looks like a pretty a pretty good draw now for France. But pulling back to Argentina, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it was a good finish by Alvarez, no doubt about that. And I, and I thought it was a, 
a nice little ball through from from Enzo Fernandez as well. And I think those two coming into the team and 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 doing well sort of sum up the kind of turnaround really for Argentina since that first game. They just got better and better with every match. And I think they go into the into the knockouts now with real momentum. You know, Messi playing well, the team on an upward an upward trajectory. And I just was really impressed by their kind of intensity and their aggression. I mean, in general, this World Cup, it's been a great thing to see. I think we've seen so many of those kind of thundering throwback uh, slide tackles, you know, which which for a while felt, felt like we're a kind of a distant memory in the game. But actually, they've they've been allowed by the referees in this tournament and so much the better because it's, it's been fantastic to see. And in this game, you know, there were two or three of them from Otamendi, I think, DePaul did one. Um, they look like they've kind of got an intensity and aggression they didn't have a couple of weeks ago. And maybe that's a... A product of the sort of the, the players wouldn't say you know getting to know each other but I mean I mean sort of finding a kind of rhythm together now as the tournament goes on with, with such a sort of short preparation window we might see that with some of these really stronger sides they actually get better as the tournament goes on and I think Argentina go into the knockouts looking pretty good actually. Yeah that was going to be my next point Gregor they've suddenly turned into a side that we'll be fancying again. I thought the first half was still fairly kind of edgy you know they did create create some chances but it was the second half where they really upped up to tempo, and it's all about upping the tempo. When I said they played, I thought they were really compact. It was even in possession. There was like a real bank of players in in the middle of the park, who were all kind of moving and in, in, in interchanging, and they could they could they could move out wide and Alvarez finish, which was which was excellent. Matty Cash was the one who was coming inside, kind of slightly belatedly, to to try and challenge him, and that was because there was an overload on his outside shoulder. So like. It is about they were committing lots of players forward, but there was always kind of I felt when watching this game there was a bank of players in the middle who were kind of be able to move the ball quickly and do the you know threaten through the middle as well. But just the sheer having someone out wide too is kind of will pull out expose the defenders and make the gaps for players to run through into, and that's how that goal ultimately came, that's where it came from. So yeah, but moving the ball quicker and. You know, as as Tom said, a bit of kind of devilment as well. They were they, they just looked really up for it, and I think we're getting closer to seeing the Argentina that that everyone hoped we would see. Any issues for the favoured sides in the last sixteen? France against Poland, Argentina against Australia. What do you think, Tom? I think it's an interesting sh- sort of shape to the draw. Actually, I mean, in the round of sixteen, it looks like the kind of favourites, as you put it, have a have a fairly kind draw now you know i think argentina australia looks or you know all right for them france poland they'll be pretty happy with that uh, england senegal is, is obviously tied to netherlands usa as well I, I feel like in that round of 16 all of those kind of favorites would be fairly happy with that with that draw but where it will get complicated for those is, is in the is in the quarterfinals you know england France, for example, would, would be a really tough quarterfinal for both of those and, and Netherlands, Argentina as well. Whereas I think almost conversely in the other side of the draw, let's see what happens in the next couple of days. But it looks like there could be some quite tricky matchups for the favourites in the in the last 16. But if they get through, then the quarters could be a little bit, little bit more straightforward. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see any real problems for for, for either Argentina or, or France in, in, with Australia and, and, and Poland, that's for sure. No point asking you, Gregor going to be an easy walk in the park for both right yeah well, i mean australia i've got big john Souter, who's absolutely turning into my idol <laughs> Greg, we're talking about some challenges there tom there's still i don't think we'll ever top 
his tackle against Tunisia towards the end when he just raced across the penalty box and absolutely thundered through. I can't remember the play was, unfortunately, but that was like, oh my God, what a joy to watch that was. And it was like perfectly timed in the box. Quite risky, <laughs> but he pulled it off. And he, he, there was a couple of them in, in this game as well. So, yeah, getting, you know, they certainly don't want to be lumping the ball in the box. But fortunately, I don't think Argentina will be doing that. I do like the way that you uh, you refer to a Scotland international there. I love it. John Souter. <laughs> Did I say John Souter? It doesn't matter. We know you love Scotland. Harry's his brother and Harry is playing fantastically for Australia. But hell, look, if you want to get a Scotland player to the World Cup, however you can, however you want to, then go ahead, Gregor. Well, we've missed out there, haven't we? Nightmare. <laughs> cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Listen, um, before we will very quickly look ahead to um, the games coming up on Thursday, I think it is. I've got no idea what day of the week it is. The game's coming up on Thursday. We're going to predict what we think might happen in a few moments' time. Before we get there, a little bit earlier on, I caught up with Matt Dickinson uh, to reflect on the England game, the victory over Wales, and what he thinks uh, might be in the future for England. I started, of course, by talking to him about that victory, a 3-0 win, a couple of goals for Marcus Rashford and one for Phil Foden over Wales. His reaction to it was this. I wouldn't say all positive. I'd say sort of measured posit- positivity. I, you know, I think given that we came in, you know, as we know, such little preparation, we've had a year or uh, 18 months of uncertain form collectively and individually. So I think... Considering that to have come into this group stage to have scored nine goals, seven points, unbeaten, defensively pretty secure, Maguire, you know, got some a lot of confidence back. A team that's got some confidence back and some stability back. I, I think that's the most important thing. Just that because, you know, I don't think any of us could be sure how England were going to land at this tournament. It, obviously, Gareth Southgate knows his players really well. He's worked with them a long time, but you know, it had been a bumpy. A bumpy uh, time. So I, I think it's, say, measured positivity that we're back to some kind of of direction, some kind of momentum. But he, equally, as we'll discuss, he's got some big, big decisions to make about about selection, formation, um, as we go into the, the knockout games. Yeah, I mean, we debated it last night. Bakayu Saka is probably sitting on that bench thinking, this isn't great for me. He hasn't played badly in this tournament, but... 
Phil Foden had the kind of expected impact on the game, uh, scored a goal, of course. Marcus Rashford now, in terms of his form in this tournament, is probably number one in terms of the wide players. So he's got some very difficult choices to make going forward. We also saw a different use for Jude Bellingham in this game. No one had really seen him as sort of the number 10, the creative playmaker, if you like, in this team. He was sort of seen as someone who would sit beside Declan Rice. Before we talk about what might happen at the back, how do you see that midfield and front three configuring as we go into the game against Senegal? You know, given that Senegal themselves, you know, play a not dissimilar system, you know, back four and so on, I, I'd be surprised. I mean, I think that he could easily switch to a back three at some stage, you know, particularly if you were playing France with Mbappe, then um, I think it's a no-brainer. But this game, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks um, with the four. I, I think... You know, knowing that, you know, Senegal are, you know, very athletic, as you have seen you know, and discussed, you know, very intense right from the off. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks with a similar midfield to yesterday. You know, Jordan Henderson came in. He's not um, everyone's sort of, you know, flavour of the month as a wow player, but I think he brings a certain stability to that. And that stability allowed Bellingham to really use his athleticism to really roam, to press high, to be around the box. You know, I think, you know, he is just such a talent and that is a role that can bring out his full versatility. So Mount is obviously someone who's done a lot under Gareth Southgate, but I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks with a similar configuration and up front. Yeah, I mean, the wide players, that lovely spoil for choice feel. You know, Rashford, you know, it was a sort of cathartic appearance for him. You know, he's really got his tail up looking full of confidence now. Foden, obviously, you know, is that's probably his, you know, most pleasurable half um, in an England shirt. Saka, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Everyone was sort of screaming for for Foden coming into that Wales game, but you know, no one was mentioning it after Iran, when obviously Saka scored a couple of lovely goals. And you know, we haven't even mentioned Sterling yet, who's never let Gareth Southgate down. And there is Jack Grealish, who once was the saviour. Ultimately, Gareth Southgate will be studying Senegal, how they defend. He'll be studying the profile of their fullbacks, working out where we need pace, where we need players who cut in, where we need ball carriers. You know, are we going to get space to run in behind? Those are the sort of key decisions that will make him decide which profile of player. But I think ultimately you could pick any of those five and be reasonably confident that they're coming in, you know, decent form and confidence. Matt, finally, when you look around this tournament, um, how well set are England? Because my, look, I always have concerns. I'm the negative Nelly of this podcast, as you know. But I now look at an England team who is getting into a rhythm in a 4-3-3. And my major concern is at some point we all expect it will become a probably a 3-4-3 and England will have to turn it on, go and win a game in a new formation against one of the better sides in the tournament, maybe a quarterfinal against France who've looked superb. You know, is the next game against Senegal actually a chance to move early to that safety first system, which may make the game against Senegal a little bit more difficult because obviously we're now going to be changing system going into it but actually is it one where you think we need to do it sooner rather than later the quality of Wales wasn't really there the United States maybe should have punished England and maybe that showed a lack of attacking quality in their game and Iran clearly were a level beneath England at this point in time you go out to the knockout stages do you expect Southgate could do that I think he could I but I I I wouldn't I don't think it's you know necessary to do it to prepare for a next game, I don't think you can look beyond it. I mean, you know, England, as as Southgate said last night um, after the Wales game, said you know England will be favourites, you know, on ranking, 
on you know going player for player. I think for that reason as well, it's likely that he'll more or less match up with with Senegal. And you know, I, I think there's there is a quite a, for the first time a bit of a gap if England get through before a quarterfinal to change formations, to change the team. But I really don't think we should get ahead of ourselves. You know, I mean, the fact is that, you know, we're into knockout football now. We're not playing, you know, mugs. We, we know a lot of these players for Senegal. They play for big clubs, several obviously we know from the Premier League. And, you know, Gareth Southgate is, you know, one one game every match now from, you know, potentially even people saying it's, you know, thanks Gareth. So that is the realm that we're in now. It's knockout football. And, um, you know, I think England can move forward, you know, gathering confidence, gathering momentum. But we've also seen some scratchy halves. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm more confident than I was a week ago, but let's, let's not get carried away. Okay, Matt, I can assure you I won't. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. <laughs> you never, that's well, you're the voice, you're the voice of pragmatism here, I know. So. <laughs> I try my best to keep you all, you know, keep your feet on the ground. I try my best, like I say. Matt Dickinson, thank you very much for joining us on the game. Uh, we will have all the build-up. Matt, Henry Winter, Matt Lawton and co from out here in Qatar to that game, England against Senegal. You can read more of it on the Times app right now. Oh, thanks to Matt Dickinson. Uh, yeah, England against Senegal, I think, might be comfortable, but we will, of course, look ahead to that uh, as we reach the weekend. Before we get there, some games for us to try and predict. Uh, a couple of big ones as well. In Group F, Croatia against Belgium. That could see the Belgians go out. Canada face Morocco, who could still go through. In Group E, Japan take on Spain. All to play for for Japan. And Germany take on Costa Rica, needing to win. Um, a couple of the teams that I think we should focus on here, Belgium and Germany. So Belgium taking on Croatia, very disappointing so far. Tom, what do you think they can produce against the Croatians, who of course had that big win against Canada last time out? To be honest, I don't really see Belgium turning this around. I mean, I just haven't really been very impressed with them at all in, in this tournament. And it, it feels like this has maybe been one one World Cup too far for this this sort of generation, if you like. Maybe they can sort of pull it off in the last game, but I, I, I would expect maybe Croatia can grind their way through that one. Modric, I think, is a yellow card away from suspension, possibly for the last 16. So they'll probably be keeping an eye on that. But yeah, I, I think Belgium are having a really disappointing tournament and I'd be surprised if they could suddenly transform themselves for this match. Gregor, what do you think? There's obviously quite a bit of turmoil in the in the Belgium camp as well, there's been all sorts of stories emerging about, I don't know, clashes about players. Well, there's also players speaking quite publicly, uh, De Bruyne and Hazard among them, about their kind of their best days are in the past. Or even some pointed words about how slow their defenders are. <laughs> they're not, you know, they're getting on in years. Um, and and then R- Roberto Martinez has has come out today, I think, saying that he thinks that. You know, uh, a French newspaper are trying to stir stir things up, and that the the Belgian media bought it. So it's clearly, I think there's a kind of clear the air barbecue as well that they had either today or yesterday. So that's not a happy camp. And even without all of that, you know, I think we've seen that in their in their performances. It doesn't look it looks like something's not right. And Croatia put in had their best best display of the the tournament in the last game. So I would bet on Croatia in that game. You know, just after seeing France and. And Tunisia today, I feel like Japan might spring a surprise, though. That's the only one, and that would be a surprise. But I, I just have a, a nagging feeling that that's, that's a possibility if Spain rest players as we would expect them to. You never know. 
Tom? Yeah, I mean, it feels like all the big teams have sort of had one impressive result and one slightly, you know, unnerving result. And maybe Spain having had that thumping 7-0 win, they were slightly less convincing, I thought, against Germany, sort of exposed uh, some of the weaknesses that the Spain team had. We, you know, we know they're fantastic on the ball. They can sort of dominate any any match. And, they, and you know, under Luis Enrique as well, I think they've added some, some physicality and speed and, and a bit more punch to what they had before. Um, but there's still no doubt they've got some weaknesses at the back, you know, especially in central defence. They're playing Rodri there, and there's a bit of a lack of speed, I think. And teams can can get in behind them, I think, if if, if they sort of play more directly and, uh, and at speed and in the transition. I think Spain can look vulnerable. So it'll be interesting one to see, no doubt about that. I mean, Luis Enrique was sort of asked, I think, whether they might even uh, target drawing, you know, so that they end up finishing second in the group and then avoid Brazil. Um, and it was interesting. He actually said, "You know, we we have talked about that in the in the coaching staff. We have reflected on on that. I think is what he said. You know, which which even surprised me that they even considered it. But but he admitted that it was too much of a high risk strategy because they can still and uh, they could still not qualify Spain, even though that, that that seems unlikely. So I think they've been one of the one of the most impressive teams overall so far, but but not without um, some flaws. So I agree with Gregor. It could be a, an interesting game to watch, you know, particularly if they rest some players. Spain have got a lot of potential rotations they could make in this match. And if they do that, then then it could be a game where there, where there could be a bit of a surprise. OK, something for us to reflect on tomorrow. Some big games coming up at the World Cup. You can read all about them, of course, on the Times app or you can check out the game. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Tom Olnert, Gregor Robertson, thank you. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.